Hey friends, we hope this message from C3 Fort Worth helps you see Jesus like never before. And if you're in or around Fort Worth, we'd love to meet you on a Sunday or at one of our weekly dinner parties. I want to give props again to uh, Talisha and Donnie. Again, Donnie's not here. He's out in uh, Florida with his whole family doing uh, a big worship deal. And then uh, Talisha family's not feeling well. And, uh, and so be praying for them. And, uh, and then Pastor Paul's here. He preached three weeks ago, so at least he's here. I think, I, personally, I think Talisha and Donnie are just trying to pay me back for not being here when they preached. Because they did both mention it. They both mentioned it. Like, like, I wasn't even here to defend myself, and they both said something. Uh, it's okay, though. It's okay. Hey, if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 16, Matthew chapter 16, we uh, are leaving our summer in the Psalms because it is August 1st. No, it's not the end of summer technically, but as many of you know, there seems to be this, there's something in the air that starts to shift and change. It's like, wait, we're going back to normal. Isn't it weird that even if you aren't in school or you don't have kids in school, you still feel the shift? Like, you still feel the, like, wait, we're going Wait, what's happening? There's something in the ether that makes you feel the same thing. And so August 1st, we're starting to move that way. You've definitely got some people this weekend who are like, oh, I think this is our last hurrah for vacation. Um, And so they went and did it, and good on them. I think it's awesome. Rest is necessary. Withdrawing is purposeful. So make sure you do that. And so um, don't do it too many Sundays, but but you you can do that. And, uh, And so... Uh, so we're moving into a new kind of deal as we ramp up towards September. As we told you just a few weeks ago, we will be out of this space by the end of August. Now, that might be news to some of you who haven't been here in the last couple of weeks, uh, but we, and I'll explain it more, next week we'll have a bigger and better update on exactly what's happening, um, and there are some things happening behind the scenes on buildings and places and what we're doing. Steve and team have been doing a phenomenal job of making sure things are happening. In fact, I came back to news, and I was excited that I had no idea, but there was things that had happened. So I'm, I'm excited about that. Um, so we'll come back next week. Again, I'll give the fuller update as to why we're having to do that, um, but I absolutely believe we are in God's hands on it. Amen? Um, that we are excited about the fact that God has stepped in to provide something for us in a way we did not expect, and that's just the way God works. Amen. It's oftentimes as a church, as an organization, which I actually hate calling the church that. I think it's more of an organism like uh, Orman McManus talks about. Uh, it's an organism more than it is an organization. But, but when you talk about it as an organization, what tends to happen is we tell people as individuals to be flexible, to go with God, to do what he says to do, to want just to, to just kind of walk this thing out day by day, step by step, that your plans are not always his plans, and we do that. And then as an organization, we tend to go, but let's really make sure we do what we want to do, right? And that tends to be because it is hard sometimes to turn a big ship. It is hard sometimes to move a How many of you ever gone to group, uh, a place to eat with eight people? You know what I'm saying? Like sometimes it's hard to get everybody on the same page, moving in the same direction, and so it's easier sometimes, even when it's not healthy or right or good, to go, no, we're, well, we as an organism have decided that God will always be the director of this ship, amen, that Jesus is the pastor of this place, and so we are, um, we are going with God on this, and we absolutely believe God has something in store for us that is far greater than we ever could have imagined, and uh, I'm excited about it. All right, Matthew chapter 16, we're starting into a few weeks. I'm really excited about this on a series called Upon This Rock. Everybody say, upon this rock. 
This is one of the, um, it's actually, believe it or not, one of the more controversial statements in all of the Bible. Uh, you have major offshoots of church history based upon this one particular statement. Some of you who would have come from the Catholic Church would know this statement in one way, and some of you who would have come from a more evangelistic or even charismatic or Protestant view, you would have heard it from a very different way. You would have heard these statements very differently. And what tends to happen, and you see this happen in culture today, you make a, you make a decision and then go into the statement. Right? So what happens is we, we, go, we make a decision about what we believe about something, and then we go and read the news about it or the stats about it or things about it, and we decide, we've already decided what we think about it, and all we need to do is find what agrees with us. And so a lot of times what happens in this statement is we read it based upon the history or the narrative or the group that we have grown up in, and I think there's going to be some things discovered as we read through this um, uh, that is going to be eye-opening. And again, our whole vision is that people would see Jesus like never before in the streets and hearts of Fort Worth. And so I hope, I hope, and this is, we're not going to always uh, just throw something new in just because of this, but I do hope that as we read things like this, we get a new picture of who Jesus is or at least a greater picture, or a more full picture, or a, a more robust picture of who Jesus is. Because the, the revelation of Christ is everything the church is. And the moment a revelation of Christ is not the foundation of the church, the church is no longer a church. It is a group of people who have decided to do life together, and that's fantastic. But there's a lot of different places like that. This right here is built on one thing, and one thing only. The revelation of Jesus. That's it. That is why the church should be, and ultimately, no matter how much flack it gets in the U.S., worldwide, the church is the most diverse body that you will ever find. It is this group of people that has come together under one name from all different walks of life, from all different places, from all different socioeconomic backgrounds, from all different... It is, it is the most diverse Religion, why? Because it is built upon the revelation of Jesus and nothing else. And when we make it something else, that's when it gets heavy. That's when the, the yoke gets not easy but hard. And when we make it other than Jesus. So the whole goal of what we do here, and that's why I wanted to talk about this, because I think it speaks to who we are as a church in such a profound way, and uh, it's going to lead us into, um, into September and, and what we do there. So, um, all right, Matthew chapter 16, let's start with verse 13. Jesus has just warned the disciples about false teaching. He's given them some things to think about. After this section of verses, he begins to tell them about what he's about to do. So this is a pretty pivotal moment. Hey, don't believe these things. Don't get, don't get caught up in all of this jargon. And then after I tell you this, hey, here's what we're about to do. Here's what I'm about to do. And here's what you're giving your life to. Okay? So this statement, this 10, uh, these 10 verses are pretty critical when it comes to how we do life and how we live as the church. All right? So Matthew chapter 16 Verse 13, uh, let's jump in. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, sorry, I haven't preached in a while. I haven't read weird words in a long time. He asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? He asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say, and I, I think this is interesting, verse 14 is that they said, and later on we see Peter said, all right? What what, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. 
Verse 15, but you, there's the pivot, right? There's the, um, there's the change. Uh, there's the distinction. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Exclamation point. Man, I love grammar. So helpful. Please use it. Punctuation is a gift. Steward it wisely. Verse 17, and Jesus responded. Quit using exclamation points on every flipping sentence. Use a period every once in a while. All right. And Jesus responded. You're not yelling all the time. Okay. And Jesus responded, Simon, son of Jonah, you are blessed because flesh and blood, humanistic ways of teaching, all the books you've read, all the different things, this did not reveal this to you. But my Father in heaven, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the forces of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth is already bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth is already loose in heaven. And he gave the disciples orders to tell no one that he was the Messiah. And I'll just read the next few just because I have it. Verse 21, from, the, from then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests and scribes, be killed and be raised on the third day. Then Peter took him aside, the same one who just said, you're the son of the living God, and began to rebuke him. Oh, no, Lord, this will never happen. Verse 23, but he turned and told Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. Because you're not thinking about God's concerns, but man's. That's quite a turn, right? You are the rock, Peter. I will build my church on you. You are an offense. Get behind me, right? There's something pretty critical happening here. So what's going on in this this whole situation? Um, Jesus is in a region, an area, that is far from um, um, the buckle of the Bible belt, maybe, is how you could say it. He's not in Oklahoma here, okay? He's not in Jerusalem. He's not in the place where all the people were clamoring to get. They would run from one side of the lake to the other side of the lake just to catch Jesus, right, and say, heal me. and do. This is not where he is. He is, he is do, are there Jews there? Do they know who Jesus is? Yes, but you can tell even in this story, no, there's not anybody else. It's just Jesus and his disciples, which, which really is a pretty rare thing that you see in the Gospels unless they're huddled in someone's house. But even then, people come knocking and, and there's not enough room for everybody. And So there's something going on here. He's, he is withdrawn with his disciples. Remember we talked a couple years ago about withdrawal and return. That your revelation that you need for the return of your life is found when you withdraw from your normal life. Why is sitting down with the Bible and praying every morning or in the evening an important thing? Why is taking a few days away? Why why are these things so important? Because God meets you in the wilderness. Of course he meets you in the busyness and he meets you in all those places. But he does ask of us to step away from what is normal so that he can speak to you something that isn't. And so Jesus pulls his disciples out into this region, this area that is far from the Bible. Let's let's say... um, Oh, I don't, want, I don't want to make anybody mad. But like, let's say like they're in Seattle, right? Like, it's not gross. Seattle's beautiful. Uh, Portland, right? They're in this kind of, this, they're in an area where there's a whole lot of different gods. And Jesus 
is taking him aside so that he can speak only to his disciples. Right? And he's, telling, he's asking them a few things. Now, there's no way I'm going to unpack all of this today. All right? Just not, not a chance. Um, we're going to kind of unpack this over the next several weeks. But I'm trying to give you at least a bit of an overview as to why this moment matters so much. So Jesus has taken his disciples on a little bit of a, a journey outside of the norm so that he can speak to them something that isn't normal. Right? And Jesus uh, asked them this question, who do people say that I am? I want you to understand something. Jesus is not having an identity crisis. Jesus is not looking at his disciples going, please tell me something good. Please, please, I want people to like me. He knew that ship had sailed like a minute ago, right? Like he already knew. He's not asking them because he's worried about his own identity. He's asking them because he knows he's about to enter into his calling on this earth, which is to give his life as a ransom, to give his life as a declaration of his love and his, and his victory over death. He knows that that's what he's walking into. And he, his desire is that I just spent three years with you guys. Do you all know? So he says, who do people say that I am? Who do, who do, they, who do they throw out? What are some of the names that people throw out. I think Jesus cares what your street and your office and your family and your friends and the bar you like to go to. It's okay. We all know. And we, like, we, I think Jesus cares what those people think. He asked him, who, who do people, he actually cares probably more. He knows who they think. He probably cares that the disciples know. He actually cares that the disciples understand the place that they are and the region in which they live and the places in which they go and the people with which they interact, who they think Jesus is. Like, can you tell me who your neighbor thinks Jesus is? Can you tell me the person you've had coffee with 17 times actually thinks Jesus is? Can you tell me the person who's been at your table 22 times in the last few years, maybe not, maybe last year, not counting, you know, but maybe, can you tell me who they believe Jesus is? See, I, I want to, I really want us to be a church that can answer the question, who does Fort Worth think Jesus is? And we will not get the same answer depending on where you live. And let me just be really clear. We tend to make up these kind of stereotypical decisions about, well, this area probably thinks this, and this area probably thinks this, and this area probably thinks this. And that's, man, we, we, we're doing that a lot these days. Well, this group and this group and this group all think this. No, it's not true. You can dress the same and think differently. Just want to throw that out there. You can live in the same neighborhood and have very different ideas about who Jesus is and what brings salvation into the earth. What brings freedom and hope and heaven? It's important that we are curious about what our city thinks, about what our neighbors think. Not so that we can pick it apart and so we can argue. And so we, but I will, I'm just going to say this. Paul argued. We think argue is a bad word. We're so, like, scared of debate. We're so scared of, like, counterintuitive. Like I'm not sure I like the fact that you have said something different than I just said to you. We don't like those things. The reality is Paul would go into the marketplace and go to the temple and tell them why what they were thinking wasn't actually what Jesus was. Paul did that on a regular basis. We see that from many of the disciples. And so all that to say, Jesus wanted us to know. 
Jesus wants the church to know. Jesus wanted the disciples to know. Who do people say that I am? And the answers that were given were not bad answers. Elijah is the king of the prophets. He's the one that's going to precede Jesus. John the Baptist the same way. He came to prepare the way for Jesus. These are like, these are the Mount Rushmore prophets and guys in the, in the story of the kingdom. This is, this is like, these are big names. These are not like they're just throwing out breadcrumbs like, well, uh, you're like the third string quarterback on the worst team in the NFL. That's not what this is. This is a very different thing. They're trying to say, well, they think you're, you're like really good. They think you're a great guy. They think you've been sent here for a really good reason. They think you've been given a really good purpose and a really good mission to tell of the one who's going to ride in on a cloud with a horse and triumphant and destroy all the politics and destroy all the kingdoms and, you know, de- 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 declare this is how it... They think you're all real good. Like, this is awesome. It's fantastic. And this is, this is part of the problem. This is part of the challenge for many of us living in the culture that we live in is that we can tend to think of things as good uh, but we don't really give Jesus the credit of being great, of being singular, of being one and only, to being uh, irreplaceable, to, to, to being, you, you can't replicate Jesus. Jesus is Jesus, and only Jesus, and he is the Messiah, and he's the only one who defeated death, and this is Jesus. So the, the issue for the disciples was not that they didn't have a revelation of Christ. It just wasn't a big enough one. The, the, the prophets, and, the, and they even said, and some think some of the prophets. It's like this adding like a little et cetera at the end of a sentence, you know, when you don't have a really good answer and you just throw like four or five things out there, and this is kind of what's happening. And then Jesus turns the question and says, but you, but you, who do you say? Who do you say that I am? And maybe this is the question that all of us need to be answering over the next, well, really, probably the rest of our lives. Who do you say Jesus is? Have you ever really sat down lately and thought, who do I really believe Jesus to be? It's a pretty pivotal question. And so Jesus kind of uh, sets this up so there can be a bit of paradox here. So there can be a bit of um, difference. There can be a differentiation between their answer and he's assuming a different answer from them than what he got from them, right? He wants there to be something different and he's hoping that they've gotten it. After a few years with me, after all the stuff, after all the things, do you finally get it? Do you understand who I am? And so Jesus says, but you, who do you say that I am? Because it's one thing to know what the streets and hearts of Fort Worth think of Jesus. But do you know who you believe Jesus to be? And is it any different than the people down the road? Is it any different? And Peter steps up. Peter, you love Peter. He just doesn't always get it wrong. We love to throw him in the, we love to stereotype him and say, oh, he always sticks his foot in his mouth. And, and he does, like a few sentences later, he does. Um, but in this one, he kind of nails it, right? Uh, Peter steps up and says, you are the Messiah, the anointed one, the one that was said to have come. The, you are the one that we've been waiting for. You are, and this is the one that really makes a distinction, you are the son of the living God. You aren't a prophet who might have a thought and have an idea and maybe spoke to God after hundreds of years of silence. 
right? This is what we're coming out of in the Gospels. We're coming out of this gap where we don't hear from God a whole lot. Not a whole lot of prophets have stepped up into the, the void and spoken a bunch of words for God. All of a sudden, Jesus shows up on the scene. So you're Elijah, you're John the Baptist. And, and Peter says, no, 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 I, I, I think I get it. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Now, we don't know. Do, does everybody else have that revelation? Are the other disciples nodding in agreement? Are the other disciples going, oh, wow, that's a big you just made a big jump on that one. Are they like, were they ready to do it? And he just, Peter always says it first, you know. He just always speaks up first, never gives anyone else any time to say anything, doesn't look around and go, do you want, I'll, I'll, I'll let you say it if you want to say it. Peter just jumps out there, and the rest of them are kind of like, oh, man, Peter's going to make it in the Bible, you know. Like, like, what, like what, where, did, where are they feeling like this is going to go? And and Peter says, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And here's the thing. The revelation of Christ must be paired with the confession of Christ. See, the church is, is not just people who've had a revelation of Jesus, but a people who have made a confession of him. That is, that is the difference in the church. The church is a, a group of people, uh, and no, not just a building. In fact, probably not a building at all, really. Like whether this was outside or inside, we'd still be the church. Okay? We are a people who have had a revelation of Christ. In other words, we have seen Jesus for who he is, and then out of our mouths, because of the confession of our heart, because of the belief of our heart, we have made a confession of who Jesus is. And it is in the confession of our revelation that salvation begins to work itself into the earth. Because remember, salvation is also another word for healing and wholeness. And when we begin to make a confession of Jesus, that's when we begin to see things healed made whole, things come back. Why should we be so afraid to speak about Jesus and our confession of who he is if we know that that is what will bring the healing so many people are desiring? And it's against this backdrop of a city with all kinds of gods and all kinds of belief systems and all kinds of ideas and all kinds of ways of thinking and all kinds of different gods that, 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 that Jesus brings his disciples to make this declaration of who he is. See, Jesus is not afraid to stack up his stats against the guy next to him. He's not. He's not afraid to go into the weigh-in before the fight. He's not. I, I think that's what they call I don't even watch stuff. But, but he's not afraid to step up to the, and go, okay, you put your best and I'll put my best. I'm, I'm good with that. I'm not, I'm not intimidated by that. In fact, William Barclay has a, a thought on this. I posted it yesterday. Some of you may have already read it. He says this, here indeed is a dramatic picture. Here is a homeless, penniless, Galilean carpenter. Some would disagree with the homeless and penniless. With 12 very ordinary men around him. At the moment, the Orthodox are actually plotting and planning to destroy him as a dangerous heretic. He stands in an area littered with the temples of the Syrian gods, in a place where the ancient Greek gods looked down, in a place where the history of Israel crowded in upon people's minds, where the white marble splendor of the home of Caesar worship dominated the landscape and drew the eye. And there, of all places, this amazing carpenter stands and asks his disciples who they believe him to be, and expects the answer, the Son of God. It is as if Jesus deliberately set himself against the background of the world's religions in all their history and all their splendor and demanded to be compared with them and to have the verdict given in his favor. There are few scenes where Jesus' consciousness of his own divinity shines out with a more dazzling light. 
Jesus. Man, he likes to throw some curveballs, doesn't he? Hey, I'm not going to go where everybody already likes my miracles and everybody's already seen me feed 5,000, and I'm not going to go where I've already preached a couple good sermons. Like, I already got a crowd. I've got some branding is working. Like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to go there. I'm going to go to the place where everything else yells and shouts and screams other gods and other ways to salvation and other ways to healing and other ways to wholeness and other ways to perfection and other ways to, to utopia and other ways. And say nothing stands in comparison to the son of the living God on the earth in front of you now. And what I'm about to do is show that in ways you've never seen. That's the Jesus you serve. Come on, the one that would stand in front of all all the history, all the ideas. All the ideologies, all, all the humanistic ways of trying to make something sound good or do well, or all the different secular ways of trying to achieve this utopia. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. There's none like me. And Jesus looks at Peter. And Peter gives this amazing answer. Well done, Peter. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? It's a big question. A lot riding on this one. Because I'm about to die. Be resurrected and go back to the Father. And I'm just, man, the goal here, the hope here, is that there's a few of you that believe in me. And if I just got a few of you that believe in me, mm, this thing can go. And this is where the controversy sets in. Because Jesus says to Peter, Blessed are you. Why Why is he blessed? Because he has a revelation of Christ. Why is he blessed? Because he had a revelation and a confession of who Jesus is. You're blessed. What a blessing. To be envied are you. Because you see Jesus. Oh, how blessed you are. And it didn't come because you read a few good books. It didn't come, yeah, those are all good. It didn't come because you sat in a class. It, isn't, it didn't even come because you showed up at church every single week, although that is all necessary and good and all those things. It came because God revealed it to you in Christ right before you, flesh and blood. And then he says this statement, and this is where, this is where we get a little bit divergent over the history of the church says this, he says, and upon this rock I will build my church. And the, and the debate here, ultimately over history, is that what that means is that Peter is the rock. Some would take that view. There's actually four or five different ways you can look at this statement, okay? Um, William Barclay would say to you, uh, yes, no, he is the rock, but not the rock. He's the first rock put into the building, but he is the first of many, he is the first one that we see in Scripture who realizes who Jesus is and speaks it. And upon that kind of rock, you will begin to build the church. Some say it's not Peter, it's the revelation. Well, now we're getting into semantics. Some would say it's Peter, and he passed this on. So that's where you would see Roman Catholic Church, right, that you would see it passed on to different uh, papacy, right? You've got different popes who would be given to, to decide the, the judgment, the forgiveness, the, the way in which we should do life. And we're not going to get into all that. Well, I might get into that. Not today, but I might get into that. Okay? Our view would be more towards this idea. 
that the revelation, and here's why. I took three years of Spanish. That's not why. But I took three years of Spanish, and I can't tell you, <laughs> I got C, hola, como se llama? What does that mean? I don't even know what it means. I know how to say it. I just don't know what it means. Okay, forget it. Doesn't matter. Okay, so here's the thing. Uh, what, what, but I always found interesting about Spanish, and I thought it was weird until I realized English is actually the weird one. Okay, English is weird. You start trying to help your kids with, kids with English lessons, and it's like, what is happening? <laughs> okay, and so, so but what, what I always thought was weird about Spanish is that you had to change the adjective and the noun. So like if the noun was female, the, the the that you preceded it with also had to be female, right? It's a gender language. No, that is not some kind of, it's just what they call it. And so if, if it's male, so if it's in an A or an O, you have to now change what precedes it. Where we would say the cup, the would never change. The cup, the book, the chair, the Bible, the, right? If, if, if in most languages, okay, in most languages, if it's a female word, then you have to do like law or L. I just remember like, I don't know when to put that in front of that. I don't get it. Right? I know more Russian than I do Spanish, and that's because I went two weeks for a missions trip. Like sometimes you got to immerse yourself in it to really get it. Regardless, what's happening in this verse is actually two different words, but we read them as the same because it's our translation into English. Peter is translated as the rock. Peter, uh, though the rock, that's what his name means, is a different word. It's petro. So it's it's a word that actually doesn't, it's a, it's um the masculine form of the word. And we know that because of the word that precedes it. Right? I'm not going to get into it. All I'm saying is this word rock there doesn't actually mean the same as the rock that, that comes after it when we're talking about this rock. The, the, the first rock is pieces. In fact, you read in the Amplified translation, it's a piece of a large stone. If you read the Amplified translation, the, the rock that we speak of, Petra, which is the female version of the word, the feminine version of the word, uh, that word means a huge stone, like the rock of Gibraltar. Something massive, huge. In other words, in other words, you could, you could kind of read it this way. Peter, this small stone with this big revelation. That is what I will build my church upon. Small rock Peter with big revelation Christ will be the very foundation of the church. There's a little river that we, um, we go to uh, outside. When we go ride dirt bikes at Gigi's house, the boys always want to go down to the little river. And it's, it's, I don't know what's in that river. I probably shouldn't get in it. We do, we go, and it's, Anyways, there's this one spot. There's a few different ways to go through it. And um, one is a bridge. We never use that. The other is there's this one spot where there's like these rocks that have just been, depending on how high the water is, that you can kind of get across on. And, uh, and so there's, and you guys, you probably know what I'm talking about here. But, you know, when you're standing on the side, those rocks are pretty settled. And then, and then there's a few in this little kind of little snake kind of like just this kind of curved little deal where, where there's a few of them you know you can count on. 
Like, I'm going to get to that one, I'm good. This one I'm uncertain of. And so what, what we're kind of talking about here is, we, and, and, and it happens every time. The boys always try to go, and one of them will always step on one of those smaller ones. It'll move a little bit. All you've got is enough room for the, the ball of your foot to be on, and then you've got your foot in the water. And at that point, who cares, right? So you just jump in. Take your shoes off. Let's walk. And some of us, when we think of the Elijah and the John the Baptist, or we think of all the different pantheon of gods that have, have shown up along the way, and all the different kind of ways in which to do life that have shown up in our culture, and, and all the different things that, that give us some kind of firm footing, we, we, we have to think about these, these rocks, these little stones, and, and then we got to think about the ones that you just want to get to so you can stand and take a break, take a breath. This one's not moving. This one's going to move. That one's not going to move. And this is the distinction that Jesus is making, even when he says, you are Peter, a rock. He's not diminishing Peter. He's simply saying to Peter, these 12 ordinary men, that if you, as ordinary men, would have an extraordinary revelation, then you will be, just like I said, one upon which I will build the church. In fact, Ephesians 2, one of my favorite, 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 favorite verses in all the Bible, says... Hey, you are being put together stone by stone, brick by brick, to become a dwelling place of the Lord. Oh, how beautiful a phrase. To become the dwelling place of God. 1 Corinthians 3.11, you can throw that on the screen. 1 Corinthians 3.11 says this, and just so we're not mistaken. It says, for no one can lay any other foundation than what has been laid down, and that foundation is Jesus. That foundation is Jesus. Any claim to be the church stands or falls on this belief. Brad Jerzak says. Any claim to be the church stands or falls based upon this belief that Jesus is the Son of the living God, the Messiah. Do we need to know what other people believe Jesus is? Yes, absolutely. Don't sit down and answer questions they're not asking. But you know what matters so much? Who do you say Jesus is? Like, who do you say Jesus is? If Jesus were here and he put you up in front of all the different gods and all the different things and entertainment and politics and all the gods that seem to rule the day at the moment, and we're to say to you, hey, I know what they all think. I get it. But who do you say I am? Who do you say Jesus is? Because none of these other things will bring the salvation you so deeply desire. None of these things. And he ends it with this. And we're going to close and the worship team can come on up. He ends it with a statement. And he says this. He says, in the gates of hell, the forces, depending on translation, of Hades will not prevail. Now, this one could, we can, we'll talk about. But some of us immediately translate that as hell in the afterlife. And there's credence to that. But there's also a reading of this word and this statement um, that speaks about the forces of hell already existing in the earth. That the enemy is doing everything he can to squash out the light to do away with hope, to get rid of grace, 
to make people feel like healing isn't an option, to make people feel like salvation can't be had, to feel like this incomplete feeling of life is just how it is. And Jesus is saying, no, mm -mm, the gates of hell will not prevail. There's someone who would actually say that he's already, he's giving a bit of foreshadowing and saying, the gates of hell will not prevail. When I get up on that cross, Hades has not won. And it is the inbreaking of heaven into the earth through the people of God who have a revelation of Christ, who can see Jesus and walk like Jesus and look like Jesus, always pointing to Jesus because the church is and only ever will be a people who have seen Jesus. That is all we are. We're not here because we all like surfing like me. We're not here because we all like a certain type of food or live in a certain neighborhood or wear a certain kind of outfit or talk about certain things or listen to certain types of music or who think TikTok is better than Instagram. We're not here to decide those things. That is not why we are here. Of course we have to work out how to do community, but we work out how to do community and we work out how to do relationship and we work out how to love one another. We work out how to forgive one another. We work out how to bear all things, endure all things. We work all those things out in light of who Jesus is. That is how we do it. And if we ever try to tell you anything other than who Jesus is, then we're doing it wrong. This is only about who Jesus is. It will always be about who Jesus is. Because it is when we discover who Jesus is that Jesus looks back at us and says, Oh, you are blessed. And upon you, and you, and you, and you, and you, I will build my church. And Hades, and hell, and all the things that are trying to ruin the lives of people who live on your street, who work at your office, who live in your family, who call you a friend, all of those people, the gates of hell will not prevail against the people who have seen Jesus. And we will see heaven in the earth. Because we're not trying to escape this place. We're trying to cultivate it trying to redeem it. We're trying to bring life to it. We're trying to bring hope to it. We're trying to see Jesus all over it and let the Holy Spirit work in new and powerful ways. Amen? Lord, I thank you so much for today. Upon this rock I build. Come on, I will not build on any other foundation. There is no other foundation that will be laid, that could sustain, that could hold up, that could, that could be strong enough, that could, that could prepare, that could, that, could, that could be all that we need it to be that we might build a house for every storm, that might be able to withstand every situation. God, we will not sink when you are our foundation. We will not fall when you are our rock. God, who do we say Jesus is? Some of you right now are deciding he's the son of the living God. Some of you right now are saying he's the Messiah, the called one. And I, I am part of this fellowship of those who have seen Jesus. Why you stand? Lord, I thank you so much for today. Thank you so much for today. Holy Spirit, speak right now. Give direction. Give practical advice. Make supernatural breakthrough. As we look to Jesus. As we look to Jesus. We thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for what you've done. God, I, 
pray you would renew a right spirit within me. I give my life to you fully. I give it to you completely, even where I fear it, even where I'm uncertain of it. I call you Messiah. I call you Son of the living God, who has come to redeem the earth, to bring heaven into my street, to my heart, to my home, to my family, to my friends. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.